millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. During the past two weeks, India has been rocked by countrywide demonstrations, spontaneously driven by largely young Muslims, energized by their mutual dislike for a new citizenship law designed to relegate Muslims as second-class citizens. The law, the Citizenship Amendment Act, enables the state to fast-track the citizenship of migrants, but significantly omits Muslims. The fear is. This is yet another step in dismantling the rights of Muslims of India. Coupled with the act, Amit Shah, the notorious Interior Minister who previously likened illegal Muslim migrants to termites, has enacted a national register, the NRC, that has, in effect, deemed two million Muslims in the far northeastern region of Assam as illegal. Many of them have fallen foul of the law, despite roots in the region. Because they have failed to provide the appropriate paperwork, the citizenship law coupled with the national register would, in effect, allow Hindus and other non-Muslims in Assam to stay in the country, but would potentially deem two million Muslims vulnerable to imminent deportation. Already, mass camps have been set up to intern those deemed as illegal. The NRC will be rolled out nationwide. In a country where paperwork for many millions would be non-existent, this would mean India's Muslims would be vulnerable to a similar internment. Today on the Thinking Muslim podcast, I have Dr. Asher Sadiqi, 
an engineer from Delhi who has been at the epicenter of the initial protest in Delhi's Jamia Millia University. You may remember the scenes of police attempting to beat and arrest students indiscriminately on campus late last month. I start by asking Asher about the protest at Jamia Millia University. So Jamia Millia Islamia, you know that uh, the founders of Jamia Millia Islamia are Marana Shaukat Ali, Marana Muhammad Ali Johar. So they were the pioneers of the Khilafat movement, actually. And uh, if you know, there's a very great poem written by their mother who said, Jaan beta khilafat pe de do. And it's quite famous that die for the sake of khilafat, for the sake of this thing. So the history of Jamia is standing up against oppression, against all the things that are wrong. And this has been the history of Jamia throughout. And when this thing happened, NRC and the CAB bill was passed. So the uh, students of the Jamia were one of the first people to stood up. So they stood up on 12th of, uh, on the, after the Juma of the Friday. So they stood up and they were marching towards the parliament. And suddenly the police started to beat them up with the batons. So this is not the one that happened on Sunday. This is one day before that, Friday. So the Muslims actually retreated. And uh, the next day, uh, it was Saturday. So we all were there. We all were apart. We tried to take out the position, but it was contained and that didn't happen. But on Sunday, being a holiday, a huge crowd gathered up near the uh, Jama, uh, near the Jamia. And when they were starting to move towards the parliament, what happened, there were some miscreants who were actually put by either the right wing or the police, we don't know. But they actually set fire a couple of uh, properties and some vehicles. And this gave an incentive to the police to start using brutal force. So they started beating the, uh, the Muslims there and then they started to move towards the Jamia. And then they broke open the gates of the Jamia and went straight into the library. And then the library, there were students who were not at all involved in any sorts of protest. And then they mercilessly beat. And some of our friends who were actually in the masjid adjoining the, uh, this library, so they actually fired tear gases into the masjid. And we have the live, I know live people who were there. In fact, the imam of the masjid was uh, announcing on the my microphone that to the police that they should not do those atrocities. They are their children. They should not beat them up. But defying all that, they entered into the masjid. They, who, whoever, he, they found them. They just beat them mercilessly. And seeing this, what happened, obviously now in uh, Delhi being a capital, it's not easy to close down the internet. Had it been any other city, they could have easily closed the internet. But obviously, immediately the videos and the messages and all the SOS calls from people who were inside the Jamia started to spread. Seeing that, this protest actually started spread towards the AMU, so the uh, Aligarh Muslim University. So they started, they came out in protest from that. And there was an even more brutal crackdown that happened in, on AMU. And seeing these two, what happened that the people in Delhi actually came out in support of Jamia. And from there on, it gathered the support of all the universities in India, as well as outside India. And in fact, some universities protested in a very unique manner. This IIM Ahmedabad, uh, people know about it. So they imposed Section 144 there, which did not allow people to come out and protest. So what they did was uh, just one person used to come out from there and then he used to speak and he used to keep his shoes outside as a state of protest. So they can see, I am alone. 
and I'm speaking. So I'm outside this section 144, which does not allow poor people to speak up. So they, almost the whole college came out and they kept the shoes outside, showing as a sign of protest. So people have done quite a creative things. And I think you might have seen that uh, video wherein two uh, girls, Aisha and Ladida, trying to save a male friend. So if you see that, uh, probably you might not have seen the interview that they did after that to Barkhadat, one of the journalists here. And when she asked these two girls, uh, didn't you feel scared? Uh, what was happening there? There was five or six policemen in the full gear, riot gear, and they're hitting the students there. And you stood up against them. So the answer was amazing by these two girls. They said, okay, we don't fear anyone. We fear only Allah. So that was something we saw that there are a lot of people who came up and they saw that this is an existential threat and then they spoke up against it. And now we saw that this gained momentum and it has got the support of not only of India, in fact, of the whole of the world right now. No doubt it's been inspirational for, for many Muslims around the world. But before we get to the cause behind the demonstrations, I just want to understand uh, who is leading the protest. Is there a... A, a central committee or a leadership that was formed, uh, which is uh, behind coordinating the protests across the country. So what has happened here is this is a protest unique in itself, which is not driven by any leader. It's a protest driven entirely by the masses and it is thought driven. Had it been driven by any leader, they could have easily maligned him or arrested him or used any tactic to buy him. But since it's a grassroots level protests, the people have come out on their own. So that's the only reason which is still, which is why it is still continuing after two weeks still. Because there's no one who's actually directing it. It is the people who are coming out on their own and protesting against this government. So that is a different aspect of this. Like what we saw in Hong Kong, right? It was, it was not someone personally coming out and doing a direction, giving it a direction. It was spontaneous. They thought uh, that this is an existential threat for them. And in the same way, the people in India thought that this is an existential threat for them. And then they came out. So that is probably one of the key points that no, no political party till now has been able to cash in, although they have tried it, but because it is completely driven by the people and it's based on a thought rather than based on any particular uh, political party. So that has been the highlight of this. And uh, Dr. Asher, these protests have spilled over to many parts of the country. Uh, what has happened in the other towns of Uttar Pradesh is actually much worse. And what has happened there, it's the police who has actually done rioting. They have shooted the people point blank range. They have gone into the houses and they have just destroyed it. They uh, Imagine the people ingested in Aligarh. The people were doing a protest by doing a candle march. So they have booked uh, around 1,200 people for that, for doing a candle march. So there's a very uh, strong and what you can say, a state-sponsored police uh, organized writing going on against the people who are protesting it. And it's quite bad. And the news is not coming out because they've completely shut down the internet. They have uh, imposed an article one, uh, 144, which does not allow people to come out and protest. So the things are quite bad there and it's important that the world should know that it's not only Delhi which has happened. In fact, it's a whole India and the state, which is the, the things that are happening in UP is much worse than any other place that you know about Delhi. And we've seen on social media very disturbing 
demonstrations, counter demonstrations to the Muslim demonstrations led by the RSS movement. Can you tell us a bit about that? So uh, the amount, the protest that is happening against the CA, uh, CAB is huge in number. And there are protests that are happening against for the CA, but that is obviously paid. So they get their people, they want them to do a rally, they're doing it. But that is nothing in compared to what is happening against this article, against this act. And there's, and there's an article in a couple of newspapers that's happening that the people, the young people who actually thinks a lot or who reads a lot, they're fighting their own parents who are completely against the Muslims who are for the Hindu Rashtra. They say that uh, they have to convince their parents that what they have been doing is wrong. So it's not spontaneous at all. It's all politically motivated. And what they're trying to do is for the for this act, obviously they have a big workforce, but they are doing it. But that is nothing in comparison to what is happening against this uh, CA or CAA Act. Can, can you talk us through this law and, and why it's proved to be so controversial? So uh, CAA, which is now it's called a Citizenship Amendment Act. Earlier it was, when it was not passed, it was Citizenship Amendment Bill. So uh, it was, so India had its first registry of citizenship, uh, that is NRC, National Registry of Citizenship, that happened post-independence in 1951. Since then, India has never ever conducted a registry or a register of the citizenship that it has. In 2003, under the uh, leadership of Atal Bihari Vajpayee, there was a first amendment that happened in this act. And in now, in 2019, uh, under this BJP government, they came up with this act called CAB, where they said that, uh, that the three Muslim countries, which India was a part of earlier, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, and Pakistan, if there are any person who's persecuted and who wants to come into India, be it Hindu, be it Sikh, be it Jain, be it Buddhu, Buddhism, but not a Muslim. So anyone from these three countries who wants to come to India, they will get the citizenship except a Muslim. So they passed this law and wherein they said that except Muslims, everyone will get the citizenship. So if you're fleeing persecution from surrounding countries like Muslims from Myanmar, the Rohingyas are fleeing persecution they wouldn't get citizenship in India. So that is essentially what they're doing. So they're saying if anyone is having or facing a persecution, if if it is not a Muslim, we will take him. But if it is a Muslim, we will not take him. So essentially that is what the problem is. So it is very inhuman to start with. And so India, which uh, claims itself to be a secular democracy, it goes against its secular principles as well. Wherein this is the first time that India has designated any laws of giving citizenship based on their religion. So, so the secular uh, portion from the Indian side, they are also fighting against it. And obviously the Muslims who have been marginalized, who have been discriminated because of their religion, they are also against it. And now the other minorities who are actually included, like the Sikhs, the Dalits, they are seeing that famous uh, George Orwell, they came for the communist and I didn't see anything that quote. No? So they are seeing that now, it is their turn. Next, it's going to be our turn. And it has been going around in the media that earlier it was Christians as well who were excluded. But due, due to the international pressure, they included Christians because they have a problem primarily with the Muslims and the Christians right now. But they know that first they are targeting the Muslims and the next in line would be 
the Christians. And in fact, in the protest, there were a lot of Sikhs that came up and they said, okay, you should not bow to this pressure because if you bow, the next number is ours and we are standing by your side. We, we are ready to fight with you. If you fall, then the next target is going to be us. So the Muslims are seeing there as an existential threat. Now, Dr. Asher, I've watched a number of interviews where BJP officials, the government has argued that uh, the law is not as broad as the demonstrators make out. And uh, if taken in its uh, in its complete form, the law won't have an impact on uh, the Muslim uh, minority in, in India. How, how do you respond to this? So this is something in isolation or in vacuum. If you see CAB, doesn't seem to be a big issue. So it is talking about the people who are outside India who wants to get a citizenship. And they've argued that uh, Muslims, uh, there are 52 countries of Muslims, so they can go anywhere. Why are they so worried about the Muslims of these Muslim-dominated places like uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Afghanistan? So we, we need to see not in isolation. Rather, this has been sparked by the BJP itself. In number of their uh, election meetings, in fact, in their manifesto, they have mentioned that the first, what we are going to do is we are going to do, uh, we are going to pass a CAB law wherein we determine who gets a citizenship. Post that, we are going to conduct an NRC, National Register for Citizenship, wherein they will count all the people who are there as a citizen of India. And if you just see the status of Assam, which uh, I'll come back to again, there has been cases where uh, around 4 million of the people who were left out from the registry of citizenship. And in, uh, in India, the statistics says that there are uh, the minimum error, even if it is done in a best possible way, it is around 6% in any government board. So if you say India has a population of around 130 crores, and out of 130 crores, if you take 6%, so that comes out to be around 8 crores, if it is done completely impartially. So there'll be 8 crore people who will not get the citizenship right. Okay, they will be declared as foreigners. So now in, in this 8 crore, there'll be around 15% of the Muslims. If we go by the present uh, population of India, there'll be around 15% Muslims and le let's say 80% who are not Muslims. So now the CAB Act, it gives a provision for them to take them back into the Indian citizenship by using this law. So they can always say, so they came as a refugee and we are on humanitarian grounds, we are giving them the citizenship. But there's no way in which the Muslims can get a citizenship. So in this way, the Muslims, they are going to be left out and they feel uh, that they are going to be kicked out. And this is not happening in isolation. So if you go back uh, 2014 onward, there has been a very strong anti-Muslim rhetoric that has been going on. So there have been cases of lynching. You know, there was a, a person called Akhlat. Uh, he was brutally murdered. People entered into his house on the suspicion that he had slaughtered a cow which was later proven that he had mutton inside his fridge. So they went in and they kicked him and they brutally murdered him. A mob of around 50, 50 people came to his house and murdered him. There was other case of Pehlu Khan who was just taking some calf from one city to other. And he had all the legal documents that he had bought it. And, but he was brutally murdered. Then there was other case in which a person was just traveling in a train. He was wearing a skull cap. He was just taken out of the train and beaten until he died. So there has been a number of cases. And then there has been cases of love jihad. So I'll explain love jihad. So this uh, BJP and the right wing says 
that the Muslims are targeting the females of the uh, Hindu community so that they can increase their numbers. So they're targeting Muslim in that. So, and then they're targeting the way that we live, the way we talk, the way we speak. So the Muslims are being marginalized. And since 2019, as the BJP government came into picture, so they passed a number of laws. First of all, they went for the uh, triple talaq, wherein they banned the triple talaq, made it a criminal act. Then they uh, did what we know of Article 370, which I think you also discussed in one of your podcasts. And since then, till now, it's been four months, they are without the internet. Can you imagine that? Happening, and India is probably the worst country in terms of number of blackouts for the internet. So it's been around 130 days they have not got through the internet. So after that, there was a Babri Masjid verdict that happened and it was something that shocked the Muslims because all the evidences, the whole case was in the favor of the Muslims. But what the court did, they said in order to satisfy the conscience of the majority, literally these were the statements. They made it, they allowed the uh, people, in fact, the government of India to build a uh, mandir there and the Muslims were completely shocked. So if you see that over the past few years, this is building up. So they are being marginalized. They are the small anti-Muslim rhetoric. So there was a lava that was going on inside the people. So in many ways, the Citizenship Act was a tipping point for, for Muslims. Do you think the BJP government was surprised by the uh, Muslim reaction and just how widespread it became? So uh, you're exactly right. In, uh, this was a tipping point exactly. That Muslims now saw this as an existential threat. Till now, uh, they were seeing that there was some aspect. And uh, we know that uh, Muslims had a strong belief over different organizations, different pillars. So they had a belief in secularism. I'll just give you an example, another example. There's a uh, mandir here, uh, which is called Sabri Mala. So in that, the females are not allowed. So there was a petition that happened and the Supreme Court actually uh, ruled that the female should be allowed into this mandir. Uh, so the BJP, uh, Narendra Modi and Modi, uh, Amit Shah, they all started to say that uh, the Supreme Court should not speak in matters which are concerning faith. Rather, they should give the verdict which also respect the feeling of the majority. And when and they have actually reviewed it to a seven panel judges, which are going to review. On the contrary, when it came about Babri Masjid, they have in fact even refused to review the verdict. There were around 13 applications who said that we want to review the judgment that was passed uh, in the previous one, but they just did not even uh, review the petition. Then uh, the, the faith that the Muslims had on the judiciary was completely shattered. So there were a number of things that the, and then there were so many political parties who would be thought that they could come and support us, who will save us. But when it came to CAB, when it came to Triple Talaq, they all actually betrayed the Muslims. So the Muslims, they are losing their faith in different pillars that are there to protect them. And this was a tipping point and Muslims started to feel that if they don't stand up now, they are going to be completely eliminated. Dr. Usher, what's the end game here? What does the Modi government wish to achieve from maligning the Muslim community? So we know that uh, he, uh, Narendra Modi, he was uh, from then, he is actually from the RSS, uh, Rashtri Swayam Sevaksan. 
which is a right-wing extremist Hindu organization. And it has been active for more than a century now. And they have been able to sustain themselves under the nose of the Britishers. Prior to that, they, was, they were also able to maintain themselves under the Muslim governorship, government that was there. So their whole idea is what in Marathi they called Akhand Bharat. Akhand Bharat means that they want to resurrect the India, which probably of the time of Chanakya and Ashoka, which includes some part of uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh. So that whole Indian subcontinent. So they want that they should be uh, they should be uh, India only comprising of the Hindus and others. They should either they should not be allowed, or if they are allowed, they are treated as second class citizen who have no say in that. So they have this uh, major, uh, this propaganda or this vision wherein they want to have a complete Hindu dominant state, and they've been working for this for the past hundred years, and they have slowly and steadily infiltrated into different sectors of Indian society, and then they have reached, and now they have reached a position which they have never reached in the past hundred years. Now they have a government which has a majority in both the houses of the parliament. And then they have a leader who has a credentials of uh, carrying out mass rioting and that probably lifted him to the level of uh, CM and that was probably his credentials to make him a PM right now. And there are a number of other CMs which I would discuss and uh, what's happening in UP uh, that they are trying to build the same credentials and probably this looks like to be a stepping stone for them to move ahead into the BJP uh, hierarchy. So that essentially is the agenda wherein they want uh, India completely void of any other caste, religion, or any other ethnicity. So this is what they're slowly steadily trying to do. And this is, we can say after 100 years, they have got this chance that they are in this position. And they are desperate that they do not want to lose it. Because if they lose it now, they probably will have to wait for another 50 years to get into this position. So that's why you see, and as soon as they got the majority in 2019, it seems they're in a very great hurry. In one sitting of a parliament, they passed so many laws. They passed Triple Talaq uh, 370, then this uh, Ram Mandir issue came up, Ayodhya, and now the CAB, and they're talking about NRC. And in fact, they have actually initiated a process called NPR, which is National Population Registrar. So it is, you can see a first step moving towards the NRC, wherein in NPR, it's a population, like a normal population, but they have uh, actually added number of clauses wherein you have to give your biometric details as well in the population, which could be used to filter out who you want to keep them out in NRC. And they have actually made this combination, uh, this correlation earlier. And there are a lot of activists, uh, probably if you know Arundhati Roy, they have said that People should not give their real names and the details in the NPR because that could backfire. And that is something they should be very careful while giving it to the government. Asher, there are over 200 million Muslims in India. Are they really capable of annihilating or at least subduing the voice of Muslims and the identity of Muslims? So now seeing uh, the, the pictures of Uyghur Muslims are coming out. We are seeing the detention camps. Earlier, people would not have believed that this is possible in the 21st century. How could this happen? People would say that it was something of the Nazi Germany. But seeing happening right now in front of us, the videos, the chilling videos that comes out. And now we also have some a lot of reports that is coming out from the Assam detention centers, 
that has uh, that is shocking the Muslims. So this is the tipping point, and they thought that if we don't stand up now, we are going to be annihilated completely. And in fact, because of the muted response that Muslims have shown for the past five years or non-uniform response, the BJP also had miscalculated this. They did not expected this response. They thought that this is going to be just another one. But this has completely come as a shock. And now we actually see the BJP on a defensive. Now, uh, last uh, last week, when Prime Minister Modi addressing his uh, rally in New Delhi, he actually said, uh, no, 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 NRC is not going to happen. It has not been discussed, which obviously is a clear lie. His home minister is saying completely different. The manifesto is saying, uh, is saying completely different. So it essentially shows that BJP has come onto the back foot right now, seeing the response the Muslims have shown. And the ayah which says the Quran, no? that sometimes uh, they bad, you don't like it, but Allah is Allah knows we do not know. So we've been trying for the Muslim unity for the past number of years. And this is one thing which has united Muslims like anything. So we should be thankful to uh, BJP uh, that they have actually helped Muslims to unite because this is one factor, one issue on which all the Muslims have come together. And finally, Dr. Asher, can you tell me what's happening in Assam? Because we hear worrying news about these detention camps. Can you shed more light on what's uh, the circumstances surrounding these camps? Assam uh, is a state which is bordering the Bangladesh. And when uh, Indira Gandhi, during the 70s, when it was uh, instrumental in doing the partition between the East and the West Pakistan, so in order to show the solidarity towards the Bangladeshis, they had opened their borders. And having opened their borders, they allowed a lot of people to come in, and which actually changed the demographics of the local population there. So initially they allowed it, but then lots of people that came into India, so the local population started to feel the threat. And then what happened? There was an all Assam student union which stood up and which said that all the infiltrators or the refugees should be kicked out. And there was a big movement that started. So it started in 1979. Finally, in 1985, there was an Assam accord that happened in which they said that they're going to conduct an NRC, wherein they will actually find out who's a citizen and all those who are not a citizen, they're going to be kicked out. So that actually is what is happening right now. So in the past 10 years, so India spent around 1600 crore rupees on carrying on this exercise. And then they built the detention camps. And then there are a lot of videos that have come out. There are a lot of fact finding that has happened that people actually are sent to those detention camps. In fact, one of the veterans of military who fought in the Kargil war from the Indian side, he's been sent to detention camp and he spent quite a few months there after coming out from there. And one of the kins of former president, he was sent to detention camp uh, saying that he's not a citizen of, citizen of India. So these memories or these live wires the people saw that if army personnel could be sent into a detention camp, if a, if a kin of a former president of India can be sent to a detention camp, what could happen to us? So this created, this was not a threat. This was a life example that they actually saw. So this actually instigated the Muslim to stand up against this, uh, what is happening right now. Dr. Asher Siddiqui, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you safe and keep our brothers and sisters in India uh, under his mercy 
and uh, may your injustice that's befallen the Muslim community there in India may it be lifted soon inshallah ta'ala yeah make dua assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh now just to remind our listeners we've got two very important interviews in our archive that may shed some more light on uh, this subject uh, we've got a interview with uh, brother Faraz Hejazi who's also from Delhi and he explains Modi's Hindutva doctrine and we have an interview with Dr Omar Khan who's a expert in South Asian studies and uh, he looks at the situation in Kashmir also to remind you you're welcome as always to send me any uh emails and uh our email address is in the description of the program and do remember to subscribe uh, it really does help us if you subscribe to the podcast and uh by subscribing uh, our podcast becomes uh, uh, a little bit more prominent on the podcast pages also alhamdulillah some of you may have noticed we've started a series of courses across the UK looking at liberalism and its impact upon the muslim mind as well as exploring uh, the way by which muslims should think you may want to look at those courses alhamdulillah the uh the current courses are now oversubscribed but we are thinking to uh to to roll them out uh, across the country so if you know of uh, muslims that may be interested in in the uk uh then please do give send me an email but until next time wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.